as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the 6-4 Impala Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast. I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot. And I am Andy Wilson of Big Shiny Robot and Graphic Policy. And uh, I know we missed last week, but like we said on Facebook, uh, there wasn't anything to talk about. We already had discussed the movies that came out, and yeah. my ass was tired because I had just driven home from California for 10 hours straight, and I just I couldn't do it. So, uh, hey, we, we need are... vacations. That's, yes, we do. That's how it goes. <laughs> you know, they've been ex- an extended vacation recently. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're back here. we got three movies for you this week. We've got Good Ghost Story. We've got Valerian, City of a Thousand Planets. And we also have Dunkirk. But, as you know, we always go worst to first. So, I didn't see this one because I was sleeping in because I was tired as hell. But, Andy, talk to us about Ghost Story. Now, this is going to be controversial because there are a lot of people who really like this movie. And it is very artsy. And people are probably going to disagree with me calling this the worst movie that is that is coming out broadly this week. But... I kind of hated this movie. Um, I I think that part of it is, um, you know, I didn't when when Manchester by the Sea came out, I didn't know all of the terrible things about Casey Affleck's personal life, and I gotta say it's kind of soured me on him. I still think he's a brilliant actor, and he's actually quite good in this, but it but. but <laughs> It, it didn't make me really like this. Uh, this is largely his story, and as you would guess, what happens is he is he's married to Rooney Mara. They're living in a house, and he's in a car accident and dies. And then he reappears, but he's under a white sheet like the Charlie Brown uh, ghost costumes. And then it's, it's him, like, just... Standing there for most of the rest of the movie watching what's going on in the house and watching her going through dealing with the grief of him being gone. Uh, This movie became kind of famous at Sundance because there's a long extended scene where Rooney Mara sits there and eats an entire pie just like grief eats this thing. Yes. Oh, wow. And... And, and that is one of the best explanations of, like, what this movie is all about. Long, long, long shots. Uh, no cuts. And long and lingering, and it really helps amp up the, the tension and the discomfort for this because you're just sitting there and you're like, cut, just go ahead and cut, please, just cut. And it's really uncomfortable. Uh, and, and it's... I mean, I think that's very obviously intentional, and that's what the director, David Lowry, who uh, who last year brought us Pete's Dragon and previously brought us uh, Ain't Them Body Saints, and uh, I, think he's, I think he's a good director. I think he knew what he was doing, but I didn't like what happened. Um, one, of the, one of the things that happens is eventually uh, she moves. Rooney Mara moves away. And he's left in this house haunting it, and we see other people move in. Uh, we also see him like recognize that there's a person next door who's also dead. And uh, 
it's it's two people in sheets, but they're not talking to each other. The people, the ghosts don't talk, but they like their subtitles and they're like, hey, how are you? I'm waiting for someone. I don't remember who now. And it's like, oh, OK, I guess that's what what happens with uh, with a ghost. There's some sort of unfinished business, you know, like most ghost stories. And um what what happens is we see what happens as he moves forward in time living in this house where he was living when he died and um and and what his unfinished business is and we see a lot of other things my biggest problem with the movie is about two-thirds of the way through uh there's a bunch of college students who have moved into the house and they're throwing a big party and there's this pretentious douchebag <laughs> who starts talking about cosmic forces and the meaning of life and the purpose of existence. And he explains the meaning of the movie with all of the subtlety of a sledgehammer. And I was just like, you know, why do you... Why do you give the meaning of the movie to your most deplorable character? Your most annoying character? This guy who we hate? It's very obvious this is what you're trying to say with your artistic statement. And that makes me kind of hate it. So, um, I I didn't like it. Uh, There are people who will enjoy this very much. I am not one of them. I gave this a 3 out of 10. Oh wow! I knew you weren't, weren't a fan, but I didn't know you were that little of a fan. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, this is this is one that I, I definitely need to check out. It wasn't even on my radar because I didn't. I was like, yeah, whatever. But because there have been such divisive uh, thoughts on it, it's I'm really really interested to see what this is all about and everything. I didn't even know. I knew nothing about it. I didn't even know Casey Affleck was in it. So yeah. Um, well, I he barely one, is. And one yeah. of the problems is that could have been anyone under that sheet for two-thirds of the movie because he just stands there supposedly it's casey affleck the whole time i don't know if they were gonna do that i i don't get it i don't get what casey affleck brought to this i get what rooney mara brought to it she was good um but i i i don't get it Hmm. so all right well that's uh that's one that i will uh hopefully see the next day or so and then um, I will fill everyone in next episode, hopefully. <laughs> sure, yeah. I'll let you know what I thought. Uh, but next up, we've got uh, Valerian, The City of a Thousand Planets. So this uh, is uh, by Luke Bazan, who did uh, Fifth Element, Lucy, uh, Leon the Professional. Yeah. This has been his passion project for decades. I mean, if you look at Fifth Element, it's almost kind of a dry run um, of this movie, which is yeah. based on a series of uh, French graphic novels back from the uh, 60s and 70s. And the one thing I was really worried about with this movie was that everyone's going to go see it, and they're going to say, oh, it ripped off Star Wars, it ripped off Star Trek, it ripped off Blade Runner. This was the story back in the comic books that influenced everything. I mean, George Lucas has come out and said how much of uh, Star Wars he got from Valerian. So... If you go see this, remember, this is the original. <laughs> this is the one that started it all. This isn't the one that barred from everything else. Uh, I mean, even the Hollywood Reporter was saying, oh, well, it barred from Star Wars. Like, no, it didn't. But, uh, yeah, Valerian is a story of uh, <clears throat> two main characters. We got Major Valerian, played by Dane DeHaan, and Sergeant Loreline, 
played by Cara Delevingne. Uh, they are both part of the military, kind of like secret operatives, spies, and they end up going to uh, Alpha, which is this huge, huge uh, space station. It started out as the International Space Station, and then as it got bigger and bigger and bigger, uh, aliens discovered it and kind of latched onto it, so it was going to fall into Earth's gravity, so they pushed it off out in the middle of space, middle of nowhere, uh, and now it's home to millions upon millions of beings of thousands of species, and it's kind of just whole big, you know, culture of the universe. Uh, but they get called back over there because Clive Owen, who's playing their commander, tells them that there is a uh, there's something going on in the center of uh, of uh, Alpha. It's sending off radiation. People are going down there. They're getting killed. Uh, we need you to figure out what's going on. So they go off, set, set off of that. Wackiness ensues. Uh, there's a story about this planet was destroyed and the alien creatures are trying to rebuild it again. Um, it's it's a bit kind of a straightforward but also convoluted plot, if that makes sense. Uh, it takes some twists and turns. That aren't really like plot twists, but it just kind of goes all over the place. There's the middle thirds kind of meh. Um, I don't know. Andy, what you, I know you like this less than I did, so why don't you tell us what you think? So I think my biggest problem with this movie is Valerian. And I just don't get Dane DeHaan as a leading man. I, I'm really not sure why he got this part. And I would have liked to have seen an, a better actor who could bring something to this. I never felt any chemistry between Valerian and Loreline. Uh, it, it felt very forced and I, I just didn't care about them. The only reason we had to care about them was, oh, he's the main character. And what it made me think about is like, wow, you know, guys like Harrison Ford and Chris Pratt make this look so easy. And it, it shouldn't be that hard to be, you know, a, a leading role in a movie like this. But he just doesn't deliver. I also thought the script was really weak. I thought that it added and dropped major characters willy-nilly in very stupid ways. We get introduced to this cool interdimensional crime boss early in the story, voiced by John Goodman. And then after Act 1, he's completely gone. This movie is missing a real villain. And... I like I I just don't know why he suddenly gets dropped other than oh we're done with we're done with that and we're moving on to other things. I uh, there are also characters introduced in the middle of the movie where it's like oh you know that's that's a very interesting concept. I would have liked to have seen more of that and then bam 15 minutes later that character is dead and we're supposed to magically care about them and they give them like a long drawn out death scene as though it's supposed to be emotionally resonant and it just isn't so i this movie is amazing to look at it oh is yeah it's, it's so, the most beautiful movie i've so ever cool. seen it is so cool and i kept thinking man you know i wish luke basson had worked longer on the script and longer on the casting uh, and been as meticulous as he very obviously was with with the design and the special effects because that's really because that was amazing I think if you could have like turned the dialogue off 
and just listened to the movie, just sound effects and score, and watched it, and made up your own movie in your mind about what's going on, uh, it might have been uh, more enjoyable. So I just, I just couldn't forgive it that it was super stylistic but not substantive at all and, and see I'll, I'll disagree with you on that because uh i i i didn't love this movie i i liked a lot of it though uh yeah dane dehan probably isn't you know he, he's, a, he's an actor he, I mean, he did a great job in chronicle uh we'll kind of he was okay in the spider-man movies you know his green goblin and stuff uh but he's I think he could get there, get to leading man status, but this yeah, this, this one wasn't really the best role for him. Um, I've never really been a big fan of Cara Delevingne, but she she did a fine job. She actually was much more interesting in this than uh, than Valerium was. Uh, yeah, I agree. My problem with this movie was that the opening. So the opening sequence is showing this planet called Mule and how it gets destroyed, and these alien creatures that live there. They kind of like the Navi from Avatar. Which again, this made up. Avatar stole from them. Don't get it right. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so again, every single time you, when you're watching this movie, you've got to remember this came first. Uh, that's really cool. Uh, they have an opening scene, like you mentioned, with John Goodman's alien character. Uh, it takes place at this bazaar of a you know thousand worlds, and it's literally in a different dimension. So when you go out there, you have to put on these special like VR goggles to see what's going on. And then there's machines that will transport things from one dimension to the other. It was so cool. I would just so it was unique and interesting and all this crazy yeah, stuff. Really cool. Yeah, I actually there's, there's, was really digging like the first yeah, twenty minutes of the movie. Exactly. It's just it's they do such an amazing job of world building uh, and it, it was like the first time you saw Star Wars for the very first time and they walked in the cantina and you see all those crazy aliens. You're like, what the hell is this? Times what, a thousand. Yes. Times I mean, a thousand. The, yeah. On overdrive. So that was so cool. Then they get to the space to, you know, to uh, Alpha. You kind of start f- figuring out like the the plot of what's going on and you know the, the main kind of things happening. And there's a moment, and you you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a moment when uh, Loreline goes after Valerian, and she finds him, and then she gets fished out of the water. We'll say. <laughs> From there, for the next half hour or so, it just it didn't need to be there. I mean, and this is a, a decently long movie. This is about two and a half hours long, or I don't know, about two fifteen, I think. Um, it, that part when you, they introduced the character you were talking about, who we're supposed to care about, who has a, a death scene, I didn't care. I mean, actually, that character really pulled me out of the whole thing, and I was like, "Why are we doing this?" But she, then, yeah, yep, she did. I mean, don't get but me wrong; if, it was had it, was it cool. been done better. I think it would have, if if she had been introduced from the beginning. And she was another like sidekick, and yes, she exactly. was part of the team or something. Like, think about all of the cool stuff that might have happened there. But yeah, the way this was done, it was just like, Ugh. yeah. So that, that was, and then all, that's like a. It was almost like the scene in X Men Apocalypse when they go to uh, Canada just to have a cameo of Wolverine. It wasn't necessary. We didn't need to go there or do that. That's that's how this kind of middle third of the movie felt but then it comes back around and it goes back to the main storyline of of these aliens from mule and what they're trying to do and accomplish and yeah and i actually i didn't mind so much that there wasn't a clear i mean there was a, a bad guy but there wasn't this huge villain they were trying to save the world from which for most comic book movies that's kind of the standard thing i mean i love marvel to death but with very few exceptions you know uh, i'd say spider-man homecoming and uh civil war Every single one's got some big baddie trying to take over or destroy the universe. And that yeah. kind of gets tiring after a while. So 
I, I didn't mind so much the fact that it wasn't about that. But I one thing I did like, and as part of that, is that it's it's kind of revealed or at least implied that you know the problem is us, and yeah. there's this kind of social commentary about like how we treat people and cultures and aliens who we view as less than us and that their lives are somehow more expendable and that like that's the real problem and that's the villain i i like that i actually really really like that but i don't think it was woven into the entire narrative well enough and i think that it just doesn't fit the the pomp and bombast and over the top nature of uh, of this movie you know, we, we compare this to the Fifth Element, and I'm like, "Where's my Gary Oldman? Where, where's the the Mangalore clan? Where's the you know the giant space asteroid hurtling towards the Earth that's going to destroy everything? I need that clear villain mm-hmm. in at least to fit this movie stylistically. And and I hear what you say. Not every movie needs this, but I feel like this movie kind of did. Uh, that you know, if we wanted to have a movie about the dangers of colonialism, I I don't know that how this was pulled off really fits that. No, I, I get that, and you know, I, I can see where you're coming from on that. Uh, it just I I just kind of like the fact that in a way we were like you know humans were the own bad guys for it was basically for self preservation. I mean, the whole uh, conceit for the bad guy doing what he did was because. He was worried that humans would be cast out of like the of the alien government, you know, that they're a part of. So, yeah, it, it's a it is a social commentary on why you know looking out for number one isn't always the best thing you can do. But for for me, that worked really well. But again, I can, I can understand that you know with a big space epic like this, you kind of want maybe more overarching bad guy to come into play. Yeah, I I did like this less than you. Um, I'm not like a a four out of ten. Oh wow! It's it's not bad, but there's I don't mind style over substance all the time. I, I mean, I can go to a movie that is I could go to a, a you know a stupid Fast and the Furious movie. It doesn't need to be a lot there as long as it you know works and it's entertaining. This just wasn't that. I, I they should have brought in a couple of other people to help doctor this script and they really needed someone else in that main role who's charismatic. I think uh with if you brought in like Joss Whedon to add some more jokes and some more sexual tension and got Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Valerian, this could have been a kick-ass movie. But uh, this movie is is not that. Yeah, so I, I'm actually higher than you. Uh, I'm at a 7 out of 10. Uh, this yeah. is, again, one of the most gorgeous movies I've ever seen. In fact, a friend of ours is an artist, and she lost her damn mind the entire time and like has been raving about it because the the, the style of this movie with everything that's happening is just so unique and interesting, and you, you really feel like you're being taken to a different world when you're watching it. Uh, yeah, you know, there are some problems with the script, some some cringe-worthy dialogue, I guess would be the, to be honest about it. And I do like Dane DeHaan. I think he's he's a decent actor, but he's not the right one for this role. And now that you mentioned Joseph Gordon-Levitt, now I'm dream casting the movie. <laughs> so yeah, I, yeah I would have loved, I, he would have been a much better option. But uh, yeah, it, it loses its way throughout the middle, 
but it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, don't see it in 3D. They showed it to us in Dolby 3D, which is like the worst 3D you can possibly see because you have these stupid like tunnel glasses you have to wear. Uh, if, if you can catch it on IMAX, uh, see it that way because it needs to be seen on a huge screen. I don't. Me. I don't think you'll be able to though, because of our next movie, who yeah. kind of has cornered the IMAX. And but if you and can find it, go see it on IMAX. But if you can, yeah, yeah. But yeah, if, if you're if you're a huge fan of Luke, Luke Besson, uh, if you like Fifth Element, this is up your alley. Uh, it's not a great movie, but I, you know, it's it's out there. So it's, it's something you can look at, and, and it looks pretty. But yeah, uh, speaking of movies on IMAX, uh, Dunkirk is our big one this week. That's uh, all over the place. It is Christopher Nolan's latest film. He's kind of more known for doing, you know, Dark Knight trilogy. He's lately been doing like sci-fi. He did The Prestige, uh, Inception. So kind of more mental thinky films. Uh, so I was a little bit surprised he was going to take on this World War II story. Uh, Andy, do you want to fill us in on what it's about? Yeah, I was I was really excited about this. I'm like, oh, that that seems like a, a good change of pace for Christopher Nolan. Tell a story very grounded in reality, and. Uh, he he brings along a lot of the same people who we've seen in his other movies. Uh, we get uh, basically he's telling three different stories at once because he's Christopher Nolan and that's what he's going to do. And he tells us like the story. <laughs> yeah, he's telling us the story of what's going on on the beach uh, by starting with a a single English soldier uh, who he calls the mole. Uh, partially because he's got a, a big old mole on his face, uh, which is funny. Um, but uh, they follow this kind of everyman character uh, to let us know what's going on on the beach with all of these English and French soldiers who are trying to get the hell out of Dodge because they are surrounded by the Nazis. If you miss this day in, in history class, uh, the the evacuation at Dunkirk... Um, was at, after France and Belgium had fallen, they're trying to get all of the army out and get them back to England so that they can return and fight another day. Uh, and, and that's the next movie, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, so they're all waiting there. There aren't enough ships. Uh, the British call out uh, their civilian fleets and uh, tens of thousands of people come out on fishing boats and commercial vessels to come and pick up all of these stranded soldiers and, and take them back to England. And, and if you look at it on a map, uh, where they are in Dunkirk, as the crow flies, is only about 50, 60 miles away across the English Channel yep. from Dover. So, I mean, that's not far at all. And um, But they've got the soldiers on the beach uh, following following the mole character as, as they're waiting and he continually tries to get off and uh, and things happen. It's like he's he's sort of cursed. It's like every boat he gets on uh, or every time he thinks he's he's out, uh, they <laughs> they get they get trapped again. Uh, so uh, they follow him. The the second story they're following in the air. And uh, you've got Tom Hardy, another Nolan uh, heavyweight who is uh, a, a Royal Air Force pilot. And he and his wingman are up there trying to, you know, keep the skies safe um, because the Germans keep bombing everyone on the beach and and the evacuation ships. And then uh, you've got a third story of a one of those civilian vessels led by Mark Rylance, uh, who we remember from 
Bridge of Spies, uh, the BFG, uh, and is is kind of one of those it guys in Hollywood right now. And uh, he's he's on a, a fishing boat, and he and his son and his son's friend take off to go and rescue soldiers. On the way, uh, they find a stranded sailor uh, played by uh, Killian Murphy, and um, and there's a lot going on with that. And of course, again, because it's Nolan, he's telling the story chopped up and out of sequence so that uh, everything kind of fits together thematically, but not linearly in time. And and so you actually see uh, later, you see like Killian Murphy on uh, a ship that, spoiler alert, <laughs> Uh, you know is going down because yeah. he's uh, he's going to get rescued later on in in the film by by Mark Rylance and his sons, um, and uh, so that's actually where I think Adam, you and I kind of part ways on. Oh this yeah, film definitely. <laughs> is I did not like that. I did not like the the chopped up thing. But why don't I? I asked you before we recorded. I want you to convince me why I'm wrong. And so I want to hear you. I, I, I'm very interested in, in why you like that, because I think there is an argument to be made. I just didn't like it. No, no. And I, I totally get that. You know, it's uh, it's, it, it took me, you know, it, cause they say it right at the beginning of the movie. It's like, okay. So the mole one week, the sea one day, the air one hour. So they, yeah. they kind of explain things right from the get go. What's going on. But even so it took me, I'd say about 20, 30 minutes to finally get the fact of what was happening. Like, all of a sudden it was nighttime, and now it's daytime a second later. Like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. But the reason why I love it so much is because if you would have told the story chronologically, you you wouldn't have had... So you mentioned how much, you know, how great the, the dogfight scenes were with Tom Hardy and everything mm-hmm. going on in the air. You wouldn't have gotten to experience as much of that as you would had it been played out the way it was supposed to. So if you spent... The first, you know, let's say 60% of the movie dealing with what's happening on the beach, and then you all of a sudden you shot over to Mark Rylance and his kid and his son, I mean, his friend, coming over the English Channel, and then maybe spend the last 20 minutes just on the dogfight stuff. It wouldn't have flowed together so well. And what's like you mentioned before, what's really fun is once the audience picks up on what's happening, and it's like, you know, Killian Murphy, you know, we, we, we already rescued him, so we know the ship went down. But then suddenly you see him on the ship, and you're like, oh, crap, this is going to happen. So we are kind of, it's like the best form of foreshadowing to kind of pick and choose your own way through the story to see what's going on. And, yeah, there, there's a scene where uh, a ship's going down, and everyone's jumping off of it. Uh, you don't know why it went down. And then about 30 minutes later, you see all these British soldiers hop into said ship and wait for the tide to rise up. And you're like, oh, cool, now I get to see what's happening. So it really gives you that sense of anticipation that had it been shown chronologically, I don't think you would have gotten. Uh, and as someone who likes to figure things out and look in puzzles, and especially as someone who, I'll be honest, I love Chris Nolan. I've, I've, I've loved every single movie he's done, uh, some more than others, but you know, I always, I'm always excited to see how he takes things on. And yeah, messing around with a timeline is a very Chris Nolan thing to do, but yeah. the way you did it here, though, it was so much fun because you got to have more of an experience in the air you, with uh, Tom Hardy and his fellow pilots. You got to see all the cool things that happened with Mark Rylance and, and, and the bad things, too. I mean, there's there's some pretty messed up things there. Uh, so had you laid it all out end-to-end and just done it the way it actually happened in real life, you pro- you wouldn't be able to get that 
suspense and anticipation and everything else that went on with kind of having a glimpse of the future. So it's like it's it really set you up to experience the journey because you already know where the destination is. You've seen the destination. Here's how we got there. And yeah. I think it's a really fun way of telling a story. I I agree and I also disagree. I was really looking forward to coming in and seeing, like I said, a more grounded Chris Nolan movie because he likes to do these things where he plays with time. And I think that really, really works when you're talking about a movie like Memento, where where you're talking about Inception, where you're talking about uh, even Interstellar. I think it worked better than this. And and you and I really disagree because I hated Interstellar and really liked it. Yeah. So uh, I just... And maybe this is a personal problem of mine, but I feel like we're at the point where Christopher Nolan is trying to show us how clever he is rather than just making a good movie. Because I think this is a really good movie. I just don't like the added pretense that's put on it. Mm -hmm. And if, if he had come to me with this concept, I would have said, Chris... You're incredibly talented. I think this is a great idea. But let's let's simplify this a little bit and let's let's focus more on uh, who where the real drama is and and I think that the best stories here are Tom Hardy and Mark Rylance. I wanted more of that and less of uh, less of the boys on the beach. I just uh, so much of it was was them standing around waiting or coming under fire, and while it's it's good at building up tension and making you understand how dire their circumstances are, I think you could have done that in a fashion that wasn't as jarring to the audience as, oh, it's nighttime, now it's daytime, now it's nighttime again. Wait a minute, what's going on? I don't get it. It's. I feel like that's one of those sort of cardinal rules of filmmaking that you shouldn't do because it is very confusing. I would like to see a linear cut of this movie and uh, because I, I think it might be better. Uh, I, I agree with you that thematically it does work this way and I get it. I just think he's, he's trying to be a little too clever here. And I think if he'd simplified it, it would have worked. Now, that being said, I'm going to gush for a couple moments about things we do agree on that we uh, love so much. Very specifically, the sound design of this movie. Yes. You, oh, my gosh. So th- this is going to win the Oscar for sound design. Uh, sound editing and mixing, no, because the there are many times, much like Interstellar, where the volume is too loud on the background sound effects. You, you kind of miss out on some dialogue, which... There's not much dialogue to begin with in this movie, but oh my god! Like I was, we saw it in IMAX, which is definitely the way to go. Uh, yeah, I was like, I was cringing in my seat. I felt like there were bullets whipping around my head. I mean, there yes. were, there were moments where I actually jumped, <clears throat> like a jump scare in a horror movie, because these characters are just sitting there talking to each other, and boom, 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 like these bullets start like hitting the ground near them. I'm like, oh, holy crap! Like you feel like you're in the trenches on the beach with these guys. You're in the air. You're flying with Tom Hardy. You're you're on the boat listening to the water crash against the, the side of your fishing boat. I mean, yeah. this is some of the best sound design I've ever seen in any movie. And and one of the things that I thought was so brilliant, like 
Mark Rylance and and his son, they're going across the channel, and his son's like, there's a plane coming in, Dad, and he's like, no, don't worry about it. That's one of ours. That's a Rolls-Royce engine. Yeah. And then you hear a German plane later, and and it's very clear that they've they've nailed that sound specifically so that you start to pick up on that and like and there's a scene when all of the soldiers are out on the pier waiting to get on a boat and you hear that engine sound and, you're like, and then oh, you crap. <laughs> and you start hearing the sound of of you know the plane like dive bombing in and and creating that um that that sound that you always uh you know associate with a a plane going on like a bombing run and you're like oh crap yeah. like th- you you understand how dire this is and it it raises the hair on the back of your neck when you hear that sound it's like if if you can do that that is amazing and that attention to detail is so very good and and it worked narratively and it and it worked viscerally and and I will praise Nolan uh you know from here to the end of the year for that and for the visuals. I mean, yeah. just visually, this movie is amazing, too. And, and one thing I, I picked on up, up about uh, it's a, uh, halfway through the movie is uh, this is the most tense movie I've ever seen. Like, from the moment the screen, the movie starts till the second the credits roll, something crazy is going on. Like, I was grabbing the seats of my chair, like, tight. Like, I was done at the end. I was like, my hands were cramped because I was so, I was climbing so tightly. But... Uh, what's interesting, like, you know, notice it after, well, after I say this, uh, almost constantly through, like, all the tense moments and with the score, there's a ticking clock in the background. Tick, tick, yeah. tick, 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 tick. And when you finally pick up on it, like, you realize that's what's been leading to, like, almost leading to your feeling of dread because there's, like, you, like, you just, you sense something's, like, you know, something's gonna happen, something's gonna happen, tick tock, tick tock, are they gonna escape? And it just it just gets stuck in your head and just drives the narrative forward so well. It's a, it's it's really hard to understand once you've seen it, but uh, yeah, when you when you go there, like, it'll it'll seep into your subconscious and kind of pull you forward. But yeah, so the sound design is great. It's a the score film. the score works as, as well because yeah. it, it's kind of like it's uh, the score has these high strings in it that are kind of mimicking mm-hmm. either airplane sounds or or drums are mimicking you know bomb blasts and. Uh, and, and bullets coming in, and it's almost like the film is trying to get you to have post-traumatic stress reaction to what you've just seen so that you are feeling the same things that, that these people are feeling. Yeah. Again, very good use of all of that. I mean, I, it, Nolan is one of the most technically proficient directors that we have, and it's so great I just, again, I wish he'd just play it straight and quit trying to to show us how how much smarter he is than everyone else and just make a great movie because this is a great movie. And I, I didn't need to be dazzled by all of the extra hocus pocus, pocus in there. I was I was happy with the movie just, you know, as as a as, as a straight up war movie. I think it was really, really great. Yeah, and see, I love the Hocus Pocus from Razzle Dazzle. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> so, again, when you when you go see a movie by certain directors, you're expecting things. So if you go see it's like a Tim Burton movie, 
you're kind of expecting wacky, crazy, weird, big fish, Edward Scissorhands kind of thing, because that's what he's known for. And with Nolan, that's, starting with the following and uh, Memento and everything else, he's kind of been a name for himself doing that. I mean, the only movie that he's done that's really, uh, or the movies he's done that are really straightforward are the Dark Knight series. I mean, those are very linear, straightforward films. But when you see, like, Inception and Interstellar and The Prestige, you, you know what you're getting into. And so for me, seeing a Chris Nolan movie, that's what I want, and that's what I'm looking forward to. And as far as I'm concerned, this is the best thing he's ever done. This is hands down him at his best. I, I'd say it's a complete masterpiece. I do have some problems, like I said, with the, the sound being too loud at certain points. And it really annoys me that Nolan will admit to that. Because, like, with Interstellar, he's like, oh, no, the sound's supposed to be that way. And we're like, we can't hear what they're saying. Like, it's drowning out the actors' voices. And then when it came out on Blu-ray, they uh, they fixed that. So apparently it wasn't <laughs> that way. Now I will I will say this: I do think it could be partially the way the theater's done, because uh, uh, yeah. a friend of ours. So they they released this movie in IMAX 70 millimeter, which unfortunately no one around here has. Uh, a buddy of mine actually drove eight hours to Arizona to the National Geographic IMAX theater down there because they were showing it for a week to see it opening night, and he actually met the guy who retooled all the sound and all the speakers in the theater to make it match the movie perfectly, and he said it was a huge improvement over what we saw uh, when we saw it in IMAX last week. So, uh, Yeah, they've, they've got it playing in 70mm here at the Alamo Drafthouse Ritz, and I'm going to go try and see it. I don't know how soon, but I, I feel like I should be... Uh, because I did enjoy the movie and I don't feel like I got 100% of what it was trying to offer me. And I think seeing it in 70 millimeter uh, will, will help with that. I really enjoyed going to see the, the Tarantino, um, the hateful way in 70 millimeter. So I, I was upset because I really, really wanted to see that in, in 70 millimeter, but yeah, the nearest one to us was Vegas, and didn't play driving for five hours. So yeah, <laughs> again. <laughs> again yeah. So, anyways, yeah. so as far as I'm concerned, this is probably my favorite movie of the year. I mean, this this did it for me 100. percent I wish the sound was a little bit better, uh, but definitely expect to see this come Oscar time. Uh, definitely expect to see it get nominated and probably win some sound design stuff. Uh, when we got out of the of the movie, the reps was like, you know, what do you think? And I just said, Oscar season started in July this year, so this is hands down fantastic mm. I, I want to give it a 10 but I can't just because I'm just the, the small sound thing but I'm a very very happy 9.5 uh, this is and I know Andy you liked it a little bit less but this is definitely yeah. our, our go to recommend for the week uh, and for me too because like my grandfather fought for the British in World War 2 and he was uh, captured by the Germans at Dunkirk and was a POW for four years and like I, I remember growing up you know listening to his stories about you know being in like concentration camps and how they escaped and you know, all these my, my grandpa's life could easily be a movie I'm, you know if anyone wants to buy the film rights I, I have the story uh, but <laughs> that, no that will be the that will be the sequel the, the yeah, revenge no, se- <laughs> no seriously I because that's what I came out of this movie wanting was I wanted a a Tom Hardy RAF movie yeah uh, after after this after the events of Dunkirk and what happens to his character uh because there's more story to tell there, and I'm just like, I I just wanted to focus on that. So, I mean, I kind of aired many of my quibbles here. The other problem that I have, and here I'm going to go all social justice warrior on everyone, this movie's really white, 
and I understand British, the British Army and Navy were predominantly white, and so were the French, but the, this bugged me for a couple reasons. One, Nolan never refers to them as the Germans, the Nazis, anything like that. They were just the enemy. That felt like a strange choice. And I, the, the fact that you wouldn't even name check the most reviled villains in the world as your enemy and just call them the enemy makes me wonder why you would do that. And if it's not some sort of weird apologism, it's at least weird and off-putting to me. Because especially when, when I go see a World War II movie, I expect, like, I expect it to be like that verbal banter in uh, Inglorious Bastards with Fassbender and Michael Myers and Mike Myers, where they're, you know, they're talking about the Jerry's and, you know, um, I, I, that's what I expect. And so I, I felt weird about that. And having just seen Their Finest a few months ago, which is about, which is the story of two women who go and aided in the the rescue at Dunkirk. I'm like, where are these other stories? Because if you're making the choice to only tell the white male history of this and more white male heroics, I just, I, it, it bothers me because I feel like with Christopher Nolan, with great filmmaking power comes great filmmaking responsibility. And you should have been able to find something else other than, wow, we're so, you know, all these white people are super amazing, right? Mm -hmm. um, because it erases uh, the contributions of uh, the women and the ethnic minorities who were playing all of the support roles in this. I mean, yeah, you saw a couple of nurses for two seconds handing out bread and, and tea to soldiers, but... There's more to it than that. And when Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor is offering a more diverse view of a World War II battle than your movie, I cringe just the tiniest bit. So, there, and rant on that. But <laughs> um, I, I, that's not the main reason why I dislike it. I, I, the main reason why I dislike it is I, I want, I just want Christopher Nolan to play it straight and I wanted a straight up movie and I, I didn't get it um, and I'm giving this an 8 out of 10 it's not in my top 5 of the year it's in my top 10 probably it's not in my 5 favorite Nolan films probably I think I could choose 5 other Nolan movies that I like better than this but it's a really good movie. <laughs> so I hate so negative about it because it is an 8 out of 10. But if I'm going to tell you what to go see, I'm going to tell you you still need to go see Planet of the Apes. Baby Driver's still out there. The Big Sick is in wider release now and deserves to be seen. Spider-Man's still out there. And I would go see any one of those movies again um, before I'd want to go see Dunkirk again. So I respectfully 
disagree with your opinion, Adam, but I, I totally get where you're coming opinion, from. So it's fine. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no, yeah, and, and totally. also, like, you know, you're, you know, it's funny because we're sitting here and you're apologizing for giving it an eight. I mean, it's still. Oh, really yeah. It's weird, right? <laughs> we always do that too. We're like, no, oh, I'm so sorry I disagree with you. Like, I'm a, a point lower than you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, see, I, and the one thing I liked, especially you mentioned that you kind of thought it was odd that they didn't mention the Germans or even say their names. And I think you're the one who brought this up to me. You never even see them. It's their, yeah, no. It's a faceless enemy that's surrounding these people and putting them in constant peril. I mean, yeah, of course, you see the, the bombers and stuff, but uh, it was. I, I like the fact that it let you focus on the the main point of the movie, which was the people trying to rescue these soldiers, the soldiers, and then the people in the air trying to keep them out of harm's way. So mm-hmm. it, it kept the focus where it needed to be. I mean. We all know the Germans are mass murdering f heads, so mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't about them. It was about these soldiers and what happened. So I, I get yeah, that, but I don't know. I, again, it's a great movie. It's definitely a recommend of the week. Uh, so go check it out, Valerian. If you're into art style, it's really really cool. Ghost Story. Sure. Andy didn't like it. I haven't seen it yet, so I can't weigh in. But hopefully, I'll have something to talk about next week. And speaking of, it's kind of a slow week again. We're kind of getting into the doldrums of summer. Uh, everything's still kind of afraid of Spider-Man, Dunkirk, and Apes. So uh, this week coming up, we've got Atomic Blonde, which is the Charlie's Theron uh, spy action movie, I guess. <laughs> kind of like a, I don't know. I, I don't know either, Something. but uh, I'm kind of excited because this is one of our first times we're going to get to see a bisexual main character in an action movie. So yep. that's kind of fun. And uh, if the trailer's already... Thing up to it. it looks really kick-ass so yep. we will come back next week and talk to you about that but until then hail satan and have a lovely afternoon i'm mary poppins y'all punk ass tripping but it's all right homie scored a key he's gonna fly punk ass fly